as you are turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. We are finishing our summer series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, As you're turning, one uh, praise I forgot to share with you. Uh, You guys know that we have been in the process of trying to be recognized uh, by the, the German Bund. We received on Friday news that we are official. We are officially registered church. That has been a long time coming. We especially thank Horst and Sabina here who have helped us uh, with the many conversations, the many emails, the difficult German, the application, uh, the, the, the pain, the tears, the blood. Uh, I think it, it was all poured out and uh, we, we do praise God. The, the, when we talk about location, the ability to even sign a contract, to be, the ability to handle our own finances, have our bank account, uh, many of those things are made much easier when we become an officially registered church. So we have officially become registered here in German as a, a recognized church. That's a huge praise uh, and a very timely praise in light of our current situation. All right, if you're looking at Ecclesiastes... Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're going to read through verses 1 through 14 as we finish our series in Ecclesiastes this morning. Solomon writes, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, And the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all of the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high. And terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped. The golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making books, there is no end. And much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good 
or evil. May God bless the reading of his word and may he now bless this time together as we study, seeking to understand and to apply God's word to our life. Well, if you are just joining us today, or maybe you've only been here for the last week or two, we have been in a sermon series this summer on the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a a book of wisdom. If you know the name Solomon, then Solomon was the the king who collected these sayings, who wrote these sayings. And apart from his book Proverbs, we have his book Ecclesiastes. And we have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and today in particular, we want to bring closure to what Solomon calls life under the sun. And as Solomon has been describing life under the sun, there's a haunting phrase that he repeats time and time again throughout this book. We just read it in verse 8. Solomon will stop and say, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Many times he will, uh, he will also add, it's a chasing after the wind. And when, Ad, or when, when Solomon adds this phrase, then we, we have an understanding of what he is getting at. Solomon uh, uses this phrase uh, again and again to, to show the reality that life is a vapor that as we grasp and we try to hold on to is fleeting from us. That there's many things in life that as we look at, we recognize there is uh, vanity. At times it's translated meaningless. At times it's uh, translated vanity. But the idea is smoke, vapor. It's a passing away. There is much to this life that is hard for us to fully grasp and hold on to. And so this morning we get to the end of Solomon's study. Because we have heard his motto again and again and again. Vanity. All is vanity. And on our search, we've had uh, different men filling this pulpit. Uh, Last week, Stefan had preached, uh, Josh has preached, Tim has preached, Alex has preached. And each of us have looked at where Solomon looked for meaning. Solomon looked for meaning in wisdom. We saw Solomon looking for meaning in pleasure. Solomon looked for meaning in work and in money. Solomon paused to reflect on the reality that God is creating everything for a time or for a season. We looked at Solomon's confidence that it would go well for those who fear God and it would not go well for those who do not fear God. Last week, Stefan had had, introduced us to the certainty of death. Once again, that life is fleeting. And so today we come to the conclusion of the book, and we are going to read Solomon's own conclusion, and applying some wisdom we learned along the way. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. And so today, we get to the end. What is Solomon's conclusion? I don't know if this is too American. I think they have this kind of show in just about every culture. How many remember the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? All right. I don't know if that crossed over, if they used the same same name, but I have seen a version of that in just about every country. 
the, the, the way that who wants to be a millionaire works is pretty simple. There's a million dollars up for anybody who wants it as long as they can answer the questions correctly. And you begin and you, and you start working through a process and you start building up the right answers. So you're being asked questions. You move to the stage where uh, you might be the, the, uh, the last one playing. You are asked questions and there's always multiple choice. There's always four answers that are possible. And in the American version, there was a, uh, a host called Regis Phil, but now we got him behind me here, old Regis, uh, that he would challenge people. They would work through their questions. So there's a lot of money on the line, and they are answering this question, and you would see people processing out loud. They're looking at the answers like, well, um, well I don't think it's A because A is this, uh, and I don't think, well, I- I'm pretty sure that B, I could cross off B, so they finally come down to an answer, and Regis Philbin says, is that your final answer? There's this reality, this sobering reality, that now that I've arrived, if I say yes, that this is my final submission. It now counts. For, and the game, it's just right or wrong. You win the money or you don't. When we come to Ecclesiastes, we're not talking about a game. We're talking about life. And the beauty of Ecclesiastes is that Ecclesiastes is wrestling with the questions that we all ask. I shared with you earlier that when we look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is general principles for life. Ecclesiastes deals with the difficult exceptions. And all of us whether we consider ourselves near to God, far from God, uh, somebody who comes from uh, a spiritual background, somebody who would say, I'm anything but spiritual, we all are looking at life and asking the same questions as far as what are the big questions? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What is truly good or, or wrong? Do we ever answer for how we live on earth? Is there something after life? Why do bad things happen to good people? What's the deal with evil? If there was a good God, then why doesn't it just go away? Every culture, every time period has these same sets of questions because we all go through life. And so this morning we arrive at Solomon's final answer. And the answer that Solomon gives us in verses 1 to 14... I want to focus on three things. What I I believe is Solomon closes, and he gives that final answer. Regis Philbin would ask them, is that your final answer? We actually get Solomon's final answer in chapter 14. He's given us hints along the way of of, uh, what is true. But when we zoom in, this is Solomon's final answer. And I think Solomon gives us three truths Three final answers on which we can build our lives. The outline for today is quite simple. In verses 1 to 8, Solomon gives us the starting point for life. In verses 9 through 12, Solomon gives us confident assurance that the search has ended. The search has ended. In verses 13 to 14, Solomon now brings 
his entire book to a very firm conclusion, and he gives us the singular rule for life. So as we bring Ecclesiastes to a close, Solomon gives us three final answers on which we can build our lives. The starting point for life, the confidence and assurance that the search has ended, and lastly, a singular rule for life. Let's begin with Solomon's starting point for life. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8. But before we look specifically at verse 1, we need to unpack the meaning of verses 2 to 7. As I read those verses, I don't know if in your mind you were processing what exactly is Solomon talking about. Very poetic language. Uh, It is kind of beautiful kind of writing. But when we look at verses 2 through 7... We are looking at, in a sense, the march towards death. You're born, you live, you die. Simply put, you're growing old. And one day you will be old. And one day you will die. Last week, Stefan did a great job of looking at the reality that we are all assured of death. And so I don't need to go any further into what uh, what Stefan has covered last week. Stefan titled his sermon, he says, Learn to Live by Preparing to Die. But I do want to explain these verses that we have where Solomon picks up the same theme. In verses 2 to 5, one of the things that that you see, you see Solomon using language that describes the process of aging and slowing down. So when you look at verses 2 to 5, Solomon, in a very poetic way, is using language to describe the process of aging and slowing down. And if you, if you look very specifically in verses, uh, verse 12 too, when Solomon is talking about uh, things darkening, he's talking about, it looks like a, a metaphor for failing eyesight. In verse 12.3, Solomon uses metaphors about, uh, that seem to be about old age, possibly of hands trembling, weakened muscles, a stooped back. He talks about the grinders. Uh, the question is, is this lost teeth? He says, as the grinders are failing to grind, is it a picture of a village where life is slowly coming to an end, or is it a picture of an individual? Either way, what we clearly see is Solomon is describing life coming to an end. In verse 12.4, it says, the doors on the street are shut. Possibly a reference to the dimming of the uh, senses. One of the things that happens as we get older, the the eyes begin to fail. The the, the, the ability to use our hands to touch the grasp, the, the, the mobility that we have as we're younger. These things begin to go. In verse uh, 12, 5, we're talking about the almond blossoms. And we have this really interesting picture of the grasshopper literally dragging itself along like its back legs are no longer working. We definitely see this imagery of decreased mobility. And then in verses 6 and 7, it moves from aging specifically to death. If you look at all of these images, all of these images are for vessels that hold water. And water is the symbol of life. And so we, we have some, some beautiful language here. Solomon says, before the silver cord is snapped, before the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. 
Solomon gives us these images of things that would gather water, of, of being at the well to gather. And the images that Solomon gives us is the cistern. Is the, it, it's, it's stopped giving water. That the, the pitcher that we use to get the water has been broken. And so Solomon is clearly showing that we are born, we age, we die. And then he ends this section with verse 8, which has been the running theme. He says, vanity of vanities. Now, now that we've covered verse 2 through 8, I want to come back to verse 1, because this is where Solomon gives us our starting point. If we look at this sobering truth that we are born, we live, we age, we die, Solomon gives us, I mean, that's pretty depressing reality. But Solomon gives us one thing that gives us hope, and it's verse 1, and he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before Solomon even begins to tell us about the aging process or the dying that is so certain in returning to our Maker, Solomon says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Notice clearly Solomon doesn't say, remember your youth, right? Have you ever sat there and talked with your friends about the old times? Uh, The older I get, the the further those times get in the past. We played uh, pickleball, handball this week, uh, and I was trying to remember the last time. They asked me if I had played, and I said, I I, I played tennis. And I was trying to, in my brain, think about how long it was ago. And then I was like, it wasn't five, it wasn't ten, it wasn't fifteen. It's not even 20. That was over 20 years ago I played tennis. I'm not young. Life is slowly passing me by. All of us can look around and recognize that Solomon is not just inviting us to remember our youth and the things we did. Solomon isn't just inviting us to remember the time. Solomon doesn't say, remember that time is fleeting. We used to have a little, uh, little, uh, um, I don't know, metal plaque, something. It, it, it had two people on a bike. It said, life's a journey. Enjoy the ride. I don't know where that went, hon. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it used to be somewhere in our house. Uh, we bought it when we were on vacation because we were trying to enjoy the ride. We brought it back, but apparently it's been stuffed away. We got too, we're too busy. Get that thing off the wall. We got other things going on. Uh, it's not even referring here to saying, hey, life's, life's passing you by. Enjoy the ride. Here's Solomon's starting point. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why is this Solomon's starting point? Keep in mind, if you're only joining us today, Solomon, we've been journeying with Solomon through an entire book where he has asked many, many questions. Why is this Solomon's starting point? You need to understand that Solomon has tried and failed to find meaning and significance in everything he could do under the sun. When Solomon is writing this, he's not writing this as an indifferent philosopher sitting in an ivory tower of a university, reflecting on and, and, and uh, thinking, what wise thing could I write to a future generation? Here's a guy who went on a life quest to find truth, tried to find it in every way possible, and then writes us a reflection on all of the things he did wrong and all of the places he didn't find truth. And now he is writing, for you and for me, to make clear, here is where you will not find truth. 
here is where you will look and you will hope and you will find vanity of vanities. So Solomon is, is literally looking at his own life and then being, in a sense, an older brother. He's being a parent to us and he's advising us before the whole race begins that leads towards aging, that leads toward death, here is your starting point. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, if that's why that's Solomon's starting point, why does it matter? Why does it matter about our starting point? You know, we, we live in a world today that basically says, well, truth is not knowable. You can have any number of starting points. There's many religions, and all of them are basically saying the same thing. You're basically supposed to be a good person. And so if you take any, any one of those roads, you will end up in a good place. Solomon tells us to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. I want to specifically point you to Deuteronomy 30, 19. Because in the Scriptures, God has spoken clearly about life. He has spoken clearly about how to live life. And He's spoken clearly about eternity. If there's one thing that we can say, at least coming from the Scriptures, is that life is not a mystery that we are not continuing to look for answers, but God has made clear where we find life. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, this is God speaking to his people Israel. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that before you I have set life and death, blessing and curse. And then God says, therefore, choose life. Solomon instructs us to remember our creator in the days of our youth because life and death are at stake. Where you start really does matter. Who informs you of what life is about, of why we live, of what is its purpose, of what is right or what is wrong? Is there eternity or is there not? Makes a world of difference in where you wind up. Solomon invites us to live right now in light of God, in light of his will, in light of his ways, in light of his wisdom. Solomon says, start here. When I was preparing uh, for the, the sermon, I, I just had a kind of on a, um, a whim, Googled, ran the wrong race, just to see if there's anyone or an illustration of somebody who ran the wrong race. And lo and behold, I found a guy uh, who entered a marathon. There was two marathons both starting at the same time. One was for uh, a, a kind of a shorter uh, race that was for those who were not elite. And then there was another marathon for those who were elite runners. He was an elite runner. He got a little bit confused, signed up for the, the race, assumed he was running the right race. It was the same starting point, but they actually would diverge at some point and run their different races. At the end of the race, after celebrating, after taking the pictures, after getting the trophy, after uh, publishing his name, they began to realize the guy who won this race signed up for the wrong race and that he should have been competing against other people. And so while he won, he actually lost. 
It's a funny illustration, and I just happen to think, uh, is, has this actually happened? I'm sure it's happened in more than real life. That recent illustration, I think, was from about 10 years ago of, of a race run in Britain. The reason I mention it to you is because we are running a race. And where you start does matter. What you think you're signing up for will make a difference on where you end up. And this young man, although he ran a great race, he actually didn't win the prize. And in life, we're not talking about a prize. If, if when God says that he is calling heaven and earth as a witness against us, and he has set before us life and death by the things that he has told us of what is true, about him, about our world, about how to live. And then he invites us to choose life. There is a specific race to be run. And what Solomon makes clear is you have to know the starting point. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And because there's more than one race to to run, it means, in a sense, in general, there's two lives to to live. There's two approaches to finding meaning and significance and satisfaction. Our world approaches the search for meaning as an individual search that looks outward and also looks inward to find meaning for life. This is what Solomon calls life under the sun. It's living on a horizontal level. Is that when you think about how I should live, that you are your, uh, you look to your experience, you look to your emotions, you look to what uh, others say is true. Right? We have educational systems, and so all of these are horizontal. There are ways that we can look to the right or to the left, and if we don't find something out to the right or to the left or to the front or to the back, then we look inward. Well, what about me? What, what does my heart tell me? What, am I, what is my passionate about? What do I want to do? And this is exactly what Solomon says. We won't find lasting meaning or satisfaction by looking out or looking in. The second approach is to look upward. And this is what Solomon reminds us by saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. The second approach is not to look horizontally or to look inward. It is to look upward. It is to look to God. Notice when Solomon says, don't remember God, he says, remember your creator. It's a really important word. Because the one who created all things is the one who knows how all things should work. The one who created you is the one who knows what he created you for. The, when you use the word creator, when, 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 uh, let's, let's take the idea of an invention. When somebody creates an invention, it means they've created something for a specific purpose. That, that invention, somebody doesn't create an invention and say, look, they're like, oh, what'd you invent? Like, I have no idea what it does. It's like, just try it, see what happens. When somebody... Uh, invent something or they are creative uh, uh, or they're creator they invent something the thing they invent is created for a specific purpose and to say that our world has a creator means that there was a world that was created for a specific purpose to say that 
the creator not only created the heavens and the earth, but he created us, means that we no longer individually are looking for my meaning in this world, but if there's a creator, then there's a creator who has given meaning to this world. And if you look at the two ways that we could find meaning, the one is that now that we are are, uh, living on earth and now that I'm moving towards maturity, now that I can experience the world for myself, I look out or I can look in. And based upon one of those two things, I find my path, my uh, significance, my purpose in life. The question I want to ask you as we are looking at Solomon's suggestion from a life lived looking toward or for meaning, what is your starting point today? This is not a question that I can answer for you. It might not even be a question that your spouse can answer for you. In your heart of hearts, as you sit and you are honest with yourself asking this question, what is your starting point for seeking satisfaction and finding meaning in life? Are you looking outward? Are you looking inward? Solomon invites you to look upward. Let's move to verses 9 through 12. We're going to take a look at the second section that says the search has ended. I'll read this passage quickly for us. It says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher, by the way, with the preacher, this is referring to Solomon, it says, sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed and collected, or are, uh, firmly fixed are collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end. Of much study is a weariness to the flesh. I won't go in depth here, but just notice a very unique feature of Proverbs in, in verse 9 through 12. It goes to the third person. Uh, it's in this epilogue, Solomon or a narr- speaks of himself, in a sense, in the third person, or a narrator speaks. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge. This whole section is spoken, not by, in first hand, it's written in second, or, uh, third person point of view. And what this narrator makes clear is Solomon's intention for writing the book. So you'll see very clearly in verse 9, Solomon sought to communicate words of truth. He was studying, arranging Proverbs with great care, and it says he sought to find words of delight. He uprightly wrote words of truth. So, I don't know if you have a Bible in your hands, a physical copy, but what what you are seeing in Solomon's uh, gift to us of Ecclesiastes is one man's desire to, to communicate to you truth about life. And he's given much thought to how he arranges his material from his whole life and how that can best serve you in understanding your purpose in life. Solomon says that he has not not only sought to want to communicate truth, we're told that his words are like a goad. If you're not familiar with that English word, a goad is is a stick that they use uh, with oxen or animals to move them along. It's a stick and uh, it could have a, a, a sharp pointer or it could have thorns. It's, it's, uh, it was used and it's still used today in agricultural uh, communities 
where you would simply use that goad, you'd walk alongside the animal, and you just kind of tap them on the side of the leg to keep them moving in the direction that you want. Uh, So this is what a goad is. And Solomon says, I communicated words of truth, and it's meant to be a goad. It's meant to keep you on the path. It's meant to keep you going in the right direction. We're also told that uh, Solomon's words were to be a fixed nail. If you have lived in Germany for very long, then you know that uh, when you move into a place, it comes basically with four walls. There is nothing else in there. I can't tell you how many nails I've had to drive into a wall uh, to be able to hang up our, our pictures, our little life items. But when we talk about a nail, it's a fixed point. It's something that you can hang. It's a a sturdy point where you can hang something on. And Solomon says, I've written you these words of truth to be a goad, to keep you on the path, and to be a fixed point. The the idea is that you hang your life on, you hang your hopes on, is that when you're looking at a fixed point, what you're saying is, of all the things that my life can pursue, what is a fixed point where I, where, that, could, that can hold my hopes, that can hold my search for significance? Where is that place where I could find the, uh, something that can hold the weight of my life and my hopes? So Solomon says he gives us a fixed point. Then he moves to say that this, these words of truth, this goad, this nail that could support the weight of your hope, is given by one shepherd. I don't know what version you have. My version is capitalized. Solomon's very clearly speaking not about himself. He's speaking about God, the creator. And then he says to this creator, and this is where I want to go, the search has ended. Notice where he goes next. Verse 12, My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. What Solomon reveals in that passage, and maybe you didn't catch it the first time you read it, maybe you didn't catch it again when I read it the second time, is that the search can end. Solomon is saying that the search for meaning, significance, truth, can end. Why? Because the one shepherd has spoken. The one who created all things has not left you a mystery to unravel about life, but he's clearly spoken of his character, so his his ways, his will, and how you should walk. God has not left us wondering how to live. Instead, God has clearly made available to us the knowledge of how to live our lives. Read with me Isaiah 45, 18 and 19. In Isaiah 45, 18 and 19, it says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I do not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak truth and I declare what is right. Because God has not hidden his wisdom in a secret place because he has declared it openly, because he has declared truth, and because he has spoken what is right. The search has ended. 
We no longer need to spend our lives trying to discern what is the significance of life and what will give my life value. It's been given to you. My question here when we look at these verses is this. How would it change your life today if your search for meaning and purpose could end? What would it mean if you knew with absolute assurance and confidence that I no longer need to search for the meaning of life, I could simply spend my life seeking the one who made life and tells me how to live. Those two lives are vastly different. The one is looking for the reason for life. The other has found it and now can spend their entire life simply knowing that God more. And if the scriptures are true, then God has not hidden his wisdom. He has revealed truth and he has spoken what is right. That truth is life-changing. Because your life is no longer about the search and significance for meaning. It is all about the search to get to know the one who gives significance and meaning. Lastly, let's take a look at the single rule for life. In verses 13 to 14, Solomon brings the entire letter to a close and he says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Notice the comprehensiveness of that. Solomon now says, he's come to the conclusion and he lets the reader know the end of the matter. I'm going to tell you, here it is, once and for all, final answer. And then he adds, not only the end of the matter, he says, everything has been heard. Basically, no stone has been left unturned. Solomon has spent his life looking for truth, looking for wisdom under the sun. And he gives us this singular rule for life. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. There's nothing else. The search has ended. If you have found God, if you have found the creator, and the creator has told you how to live, then life simply becomes about keeping his commands. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 12, or 10, 12 through 13. I've already preached a message previously on what it means to fear God. We often have a negative conception of fearing God. And if you want to know more about what I said, I would encourage you to look up on Spotify or to look up in our previous sermons the sermon on the fear of God. I won't go into that further here. What I will show you is Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13, because it'll show you why it is good and right to think of God's commands or fearing God in a positive light. This is when God gave his uh, people Israel the Ten Commandments. Verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him, uh, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord? Notice how this ends. Which I am commanding for what? Why did God give us his commands? It says, For your good. For your good. Why does God give us his commands? For 
your good. All we must do is fear God. What is fearing God? Fearing God means simply walking in his ways. It has nothing to do with this, this human idea of fear, that we, or this negative idea. When the scriptures are using a fear of God, it is a good and right and proper honor and respect to the creator who made you. So all we must do is to fear God. That is how we respond to how he has, who he has revealed himself to be, to what he says is good, and by walking his commands. God has revealed in the scriptures all that we need to know about him. God has revealed to us in the scriptures all that we need to know about what is right and what is wrong, how to live in this world. And so as we come to a close in looking at the three gifts that Solomon gives to us in his book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us a starting point for life. Solomon gives us the confident assurance that the search can end. If you are sitting in here this morning and you are still wondering about what is the purpose, what is the significance, how do I live in this world, Solomon lets you know the search can end. And then Solomon gives you a simple rule for life. So how do I live? It's really simple. Fear God and keep his commands. What if on your daily planner, what if, I mean, when you're going to leave this sermon and life starts again on Monday morning with all the things that press in on you in a thousand different ways, if you're like me, this, this, this week I think I've, uh, I can honestly say I had more meetings with people this past week than I have ever had uh, as a pastor. And, there's those, and, I, and after those meetings, I looked at my to-do list and honestly, I just looked at it and I thought, my goodness, how can I get it all done? The world will show us all of the things that we have to get done to feel right about ourselves. The beauty of knowing God is that I can simply stop, remind myself of who created me, and remind myself that I really have one thing. I have one thing each and every day. Yes, there's a million tasks, and yes, the floor and night need to be cleaned, and yes, there's kids who need to be fed and shopping to be done. I get all that. I live it. But how beautiful to know, but there's just one thing that matters to fear God, and to keep his commands. It's a single rule for life. Verse 14 says, it's kind of like the fly in the ointment. Does anybody know what the fly in the ointment is? If I say the fly in the ointment, do you know what that means? What that, the metaphor? It would all seem great to end there. But there's one more thing that Solomon drops into his closing to Ecclesiastes that we need to consider. He says this, God will bring every deed into judgment Every secret thing, whether good or evil. It all seems so well when Solomon says, it's really this simple, fear God and keep his commandments. But then Solomon ends, God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. And if you hear that and you recognize there's not one person in here who keeps all of God's commandments and who fears him perfectly. Solomon gives us this amazing hope, three reasons to glory, the simplicity of a single rule for life, the the fact that the search has ended and the starting point. But if I left Ecclesiastes and I didn't invite you to think of this contradiction, because Solomon says that God knows every secret thing and he will judge all things. None of us have lived that perfect life and feared God the way we should. How do we end Ecclesiastes? Well, I want to point you 
to a passage. This is by Solomon's father, David, Psalm 130. It says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, basically, if you counted our sins against us, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness. And then he goes down in verse 7. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. The reality is, is that while life is so simple, it can be covered by a simple rule. Fear God and keep his commandments. None of us keep God's commandments. And this means all of us have a challenge. Is that one day when we do die and we do give an accounting before God, we won't be able to give an accounting that says, I've kept it perfectly. Which means what David wrote, God, if you mark iniquities, who would stand? Nobody. So I want to close with Colossians 2, 13 to 14. Is because in this passage in, in Psalm 130, instead of despair, we find David praising God. He says, God, with you there's steadfast love. With you there is redemption. David didn't exactly know how God would provide that redemption, but we know that God provided it in Jesus Christ. Because after David, many thousands of years would, would pass and a new king would come onto the scene. Colossians 2, 4, uh, 13 to 14 says, And you, speaking of you and me, we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, but God made us alive together with him forgiving us our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. And this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. We can't embrace the good message of Ecclesiastes without also embracing how it all gets worked out in the end. If I just gave you three points for living and set you on your merry way and said, here's how it all works. It's all beautiful. I have three rules for life you still wouldn't know how God deals with sins. He's dealt with them through Jesus Christ. So this morning, let me close. If you're here this morning and you want to respond to those three simple truths that Solomon gave us, if you want to respond to know more about Jesus Christ, who was the one who God sent to actually deal with your sins, yes, life is as simple as fear God and keep his commands, but none of us do it perfectly. And so how do we answer a holy God? The answer is Jesus. If you would like to talk more with myself, more with Alex, or more with any of our leaders, I'm going to ask you to do that today. I would love to tell you more about your starting point, about how your search could end, and how you have one simple rule for life to fear God and keep his commandments, and how that's all made possible through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks truth into our lives. We ask now for wisdom to know how to apply it and how to respond to you this morning. Amen.